0: have a podcast. It's gonna be fun. We've got fuchsia bikinis (laughs) and a caged up Vietnam veteran Come and buy books. We're selling books. Feel that breeze. (laughs) Oh the whisper that makes me whisper Louise. The wind in the trees sing to whisper Louise. To pay money for this stuff you know it's all coming to you guys
1: free of
0: charge Right. I'm the pro bono
1: this is what I call content this is premium primo content
0: yeah high quality stuff you heard it here on kphU <laughs> <K-Fu>. K- Turning <30 laughs> Station.
1: This is what happens when you give a poet okay, a mic. I'm Jessica
0: Cole. I'm Fulu.
1: I'm Kate Martin Williams. And this is Effing Shakespeare. By writers, for writers. All right, we're talking now with uh, Bobby Bird, who uh, is the founder,
0: co founder,
1: co founder of, co-founder of you, Cinco you punto sure Press. We to make sure we get
0: that right. Yes,
1: <laughs> co founder. A poet, and uh, and I'm told the father of uh, independent presses. And uh, we're so happy to have you uh, have you on and have you talk about uh, uh, the landscape of independent presses here. Can we can we start there and maybe talk just oh, a little in te- bit? Oh, uh, yeah.
2: in Texas. Um, yeah. Well, you know, we live in El Paso, so we never considered ourselves part of Texas. <laughs> so people would ask where we were from, and we'd say El Paso. And they'd go, oh, you mean Texas? No, we mean El Paso. It's a whole different sort of place. Right. But it's, it's really at the end of a lot of different things or so people think, and we always thought that. And so when Lee and I moved there in 1978, you know, we were sort of separated from so many things. We came from Albuquerque, and so for a, make a long story short we visited a, a friend of ours uh richard Grossinger of uh, north atlantic books who publishes some of my uh, poetry books and we talked to him and just said, well, we'll do the same thing. And Sounds
1: like a good idea. Yeah,
2: so it was sort of a stupid thing to do, but it was, um, <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. You know, it's like being a poet. You know, there's not a lot of money in it, but it's, a, it's sort of miraculous in a lot of different ways.
1: Absolutely. And then you started off just publishing poetry?
2: Uh, no, uh, we learned very quickly that you don't publish poetry uh, because it doesn't sell. We published uh, one poetry book by Joseph Samosa. But we were very lucky, our two two, uh, other first books was one was a collection of short stories by Dagoberto Gilb, and uh, we published a children's book, and we didn't know anything about children's book. It was the story of La Llorona, a bilingual version of La La Llorona, the weeping woman. And uh, both of those books uh, became sort of classics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the winners on the pass pass line, pass line Dago's book, um, you know, sort of started him on his career.
1: So I just was at uh, the Cinco Puntos booth and bought Jajaro uh, Verde for oh, my good. two kids. Yeah, oh, good. Um, and you were talking about uh, bilingual trans or bilingual um, editions of books. And um, were you were there other people doing that work when you guys started doing that?
2: Not really. That was the odd thing about it. You know, when we started uh, publishing books, uh, bilingual books, uh, mostly for Chicano, Mexican-American communities is uh, the greater publishing industry didn't realize that, you know, and this is serious, that that they didn't realize that Mexican-Americans bought books. Right. And they didn't realize that Mexican-Americans were, um, and the Mexicans uh, were very, very seriously interested in their culture.
1: Which and is kind of like a duh moment, right? Right, I mean, right? Come on!
2: And that's when I was, when I was saying about you know being in El Paso and the small press. You know, we're talking about our neighbors, and so we knew what big big presses didn't know. So we were doing all these books, and they were doing very well. But of course, that they weren't being uh, reviewed, mm-hmm. and so it was a lot of word of mouth. Of course, we didn't we didn't know what you know. It's a lot to publishing that we didn't know It was real dumb about it and uh so you know little by little going to things like this and uh, teachers conferences and stuff we started getting the word around about it and we started getting more manuscripts And of course joe hayes we did a number of books with him and he's a, a person who goes out into schools and sells his own books so you know he was like a great source of uh, support and income for Cinco Puntos. Yeah. So uh, I remember when we joined with consortium, I was talking to the CEO, and I said, "You know, you know, there's a great big Mexican American uh, middle class population." And because he was making a comment like, "Who am I going to sell these books to? The people in the warehouse?" And I said, "Well, <sighs> screw you, man. You know, you, you know, there's yeah. this, there's all these people are out there, and they're middle class, they're." Working in various industries, their school, education, blah, blah, blah. And they really wanted their books. And, and so we had to a lot of our uh, early uh, publishing career educating sales reps about uh, Mexican-American and Spanish books, Spanish, bilingual Spanish books. One day, you know, we, uh, there's a book by Carmen Lomas Garza is her name, Mm-hmm. Uh, she's wrote this book called Me Familia. She's an artist, and it's pictures of her growing up and these great bizarre sort of surreal paintings. And it sold like over a million. Children's book press it. Sold over a million copies.
0: Oh my gosh!
2: And I I, I raised it during a sales conference. You know, this book has sold over a million copies. And they said, well, who sold it? Well, who bought it? Who sold it? And, like, it was going to all these different places that these reps didn't know about.
1: Right, right. So,
2: it, you know, it was, it was this whole thing. And, you know, so.
1: Which is sort of the singular advantage of an, of an indie press. Is, right. Is how exactly. nimble we can be. Right,
2: exactly. And yeah.
1: and how well we know.
2: Right, and respond.
1: Right, yeah, right. It was, yeah,
2: you, you, we'll do a, you know, if the book's good, we'll do it, you know, within the season. So, you know, it's that's a great, great point, you know, that. We make quick uh, decisions based on what we know in the gut.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. So, so.
2: That's why y'all published a portrait book.
1: Exactly.
0: Because <laughs> they wanted to be rich.
1: And because look how cute David is. <laughs> yeah, right. You should see him in a fuchsia bikini.
0: <laughs> With his <laughs> pantyhose. I have to tell you, 30 years after Mi Familia came out, I was using it on the east side of Houston. And those kids, they didn't want me to leave that classroom but they wanted me so I got a set of books just to leave in the classroom. oh good
2: for I, you yeah. they loved
0: it so yeah. much right exactly and I did too. it's yeah oh, the one with the what the snakes hanging from yeah. the water yeah oh that's so beautiful
2: yeah it really is and it's you know it was like a real education for the kids but also a real public education for the and it
0: puffed them up yeah. they were yeah. so proud to see they were recognized yeah. the tamale making right oh yeah. it's yeah. great, great
2: it was, it was, you know, But a uh, friend, uh, Patsy Aldana at Groundwood Books, the Canadian press, has a saying that books are windows, but they also need to be mirrors, oh, too. that's right. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, the Mexican-American, the Latinx population wasn't get, getting books that reflected who they were.
1: Right, right.
2: And that's changing, actually. Now they're even here at the Texas Book Festival, they're having panel discussions in Spanish.
1: right. I was going to, that was going to be my next question. What has changed since Cinco Puntos started? What year was that? Uh, we started in uh, like
2: 1985. So from 1985
1: to 2018, what, what do you see in terms of this independent publishing landscape? What's changed?
2: You know, it's, it's gotten a lot more competitive. It's gotten a lot more competitive, and, and, you know, it's easier for us, for instance, to go to New York where we do to talk to media people. But we still sort of are second, what do you say, second cousins or whatever, and so we're we're still you know we're still that press from El Paso. Really. And uh, but we are getting more attention. But there are more people like us, and more people like we we when we published a YA book, when we put, we were distributed by Consortium Book Sales and uh, Distribution, and they are wonderful people. But we published this book, uh, Gabby, a Girl in Pieces. That has become a, a young adult classic for novels. Yeah, uh, yeah. And um, and the, our colleagues who have never published, it's like City Lights and Coffee House and stuff. Mm-hmm. Who had never published YA books before saw the success of that book, and they've now everybody's publishing <laughs> YA books, and they call us up for the, our list and everything. So it's that that's changed. You know that yeah. even the independent presses. Everybody wants to, uh, like, I'm a, I'm a poet, you know, so I, I would love to just publish poetry or in fiction by my friends, you know, that would be fun. Right. But, you know, uh, the thing is, you, you can't do that. You have to go, you know, you have to make money, even if you're a nonprofit, you know, you have to do that. So it's, it's, you know, we've learned a lot. You know, the thing about independent publishing, I think that's very interesting. I'm a poet. Right. And, you know, so as a poet, I had this really sort of wonderful group of uh, friends, but they're like, it's a real small group of people. But, you know, with uh, as a publisher, we've been to so many worlds in the imagination uh, that would have been inconceivable to me. We did a book about a guy... Anthony Horton, it was a graphic novel, it was for uh, young adults, about a young, uh, a, a guy that lived in the subways, who lived below the subways in New York, below the subways, so like boom, 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 boom. Uh-huh. And Yumi Landown did the artwork, it's just a beautiful book, but you know, to to meet him and to talk to him, and, and who's he's now dead, sadly enough, but it was like, I would have never done that right. as, as a poet. So. Uh, I mean, I would have read about it and be really interested in it, but but to be able to talk to a person like that, it's just wonderful where publishing has uh, taken me right. and my wife and our family, actually. So we know people all over the country in that sort of situation now. So Doing, the,
1: doing that good work. Yeah. So uh, talk about your uh, poetry career a little bit. You, you were a poet first, yes? I was
2: a poet first. Right. Uh, it's it's nice of you that you call it a career. <laughs> so, uh, I you know I was um, actually there's another thing that publishing did for me. I always carried a sort of a chip on my shoulder. But I was I was a poet that came. I, I, one of my mentors was uh, Paul Blackburn, who since died. He was one of the Black Mountain New York School poets, and he was a very educated man. He was he had, knew all sorts of many languages but he sort of was separate from the sort of academic poets. And I sort of, uh, there's a word in, uh, Ron Silliman used two terms for uh, uh, po- poet, po biz, you know, there are people who are involved in po biz and people who are involved in, you know, just sort of language. And we were, you know, I was, I, was, I was very interested and still am very interested in poetry, po- poets that were sort of outside the academia. So um, I uh, so I and I wrote to that and I never had um, uh, ambition, I guess, is the word. I I was very interested in writing books, publishing them, but I didn't know about selling and stuff. And and I wanted to live, you know, I wanted to live the life of a poet. And so I got to be I had sort of an underground uh, reputation. For instance, David knows my work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I do yeah. uh, so um, so my life has been sort of the, the, the publishing business has been really good for me as a poet because it has exposed me to a, a lot of different things and also to a lot of different types of poetry that I've come to really really appreciate the only thing that I regret right now is I don't have a lot of time for my own writing I'm working on several things right now that I'd like to do
1: but the press sort of takes over. Yeah,
2: right. The business. I'm working, you know, I I, I grew up uh, in Memphis. And my daddy died when I was uh, two. And uh, he was in an airplane uh, crash. So my mother raised me. My mother and an um, African-American woman, a Tula, Darthula Baldwin. So I was raised by women. Mm-hmm. And in Memphis, you know, in the 40s and the 50s, and listening to black black music and stuff and i was sort of a hellraiser. i was i was not the best kid you know <laughs> i was not the kid that a mother would like but my mother thankfully loved me and uh tula and her raised me so i um so that's sort of my background and i think that's what led to my uh that in public school is what led to my sense of poetry and to um my sense of politics really you know that that i never went to school with with a uh, person of color as far as i know you know and so it was um so all of that was sort of the founding of of my poetry career and i was very lucky to have a friend harvey goldner who was who was dead now that when we were uh when we were like 16 or 17 he took me down to the basement at the library once, and we listened to Ferlinghetti and Ginsberg, and he bought the first Evergreen Review and reading, uh, read the first uh, installment of uh, John Retchie's City of Night, which is like this classic gay novel.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And it starts in El Paso, ironically enough. Mm-hmm. And so all of that, you know, back when I was growing up, nobody talked about gay people and gay you know, all this different stuff. And so poetry was poetry and, and music, uh, African, black music. They called it race music back then.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It was sort of the door through which I uh, entered into the world of imagination, I think. Yeah. Poetry and, and and African, black music, race music. That's where you learn about sex if you're growing up in the South in the 50s, you know. And you learn to move your body. You know, you learn to, that you have a body.
1: Right. I, right, say,
2: right. I say that, you know. I, I really believe that that music saved my life mm-hmm. and, um, you know, my spiritual life.
1: Right, and, right. And,
2: you know, so that's how I And I think my poetry still retains a lot of that stuff. I think over the years, I'm a, I'm a practicing Zen Buddhist. Uh-huh. Uh, actually, I'm a priest. So that has sort of leavened some of the anger that I carried all over my life, you know. All of that sort of now is is the... The sort of the core of my poetry, I think.
1: Could we hear some of it, Bobby?
2: Yeah, I can read. I'll read a couple, and you can tell me when to quit. (laughs) So here's a poem I'll read. I was just looking real quick to try to figure out poems to read, and there's a poem in here.
1: And this is from your most recent collection. Yeah, this
2: is my uh, most recent collection. Otherwise, my life is ordinary, and it's lovely. We, it took us a long time to figure out what to call it, but we I found the line in one of the poems. And I love this cover. This cover, my friend, we used to have a, a bridge center for contemporary art in downtown El Paso. And so this is me. My friend Cesar Vaughn did these cutouts. Uh,
1: oh, man, that's great.
2: This is me. This is uh, 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 Pancho Villa. This is La, La Santa de uh, uh, de Caboras uh, Teresa. Uh, Teresita Orea, and this is Art Lewis, my friend, and this is uh, God, I can't remember Gloria Suna Perez.
1: You guys have to check this out. It's a it's cutouts, uh, in is that a studio or is a it storefront? It's a
2: storefront. It's yeah. a storefront. It's, yeah.
1: uh, it's really great. All I was talking to Bobby's wife earlier today, and um, over at their booth, and uh, the thing about Cinco Puntos Press is every cover is beautiful. Oh well, they, thank you very much. They uh, really take their time. Um, packaging books that reflect, uh, I believe, great work. Well, um, thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. Take the time to go check them out on, on their website. Um, it's well worth it. And buy them, buy those books.
2: Okay, there's a, a poem in here called. I thought I had it marked. I make a, I make a good pot of beans. Mm. Okay, ninety two. I'll start with that one. Great. I read this a lot to kids when they ask uh, about poetry. It's called, uh, is that good? Can you hear me good? Yep. Okay. I make a good pot of beans. Christians like my beans. Right wing, left wing, they like my beans. Mm -hmm. Buddhists like my beans. Muslims and Jews like my beans. Agnostics and atheists. Mexicans and gringos. Vegetarians and meat eaters. Phyllis and Bill like my beans. Does Megan like my beans? Yes, yes, Megan likes my beans. They all like my beans. Even the drunks down the street like my beans. And I know some politicians who like my beans. Likewise, some ex-cons and thieves, friends of mine, all of them. Poets, of course, like my beans. Perhaps some novelists, who knows? (laughs) A few holy men, a few holy women. Not too many wise folks out there. Be careful who you listen to. My kids and grandkids like my beans. My wife likes my beans. She really likes it when I cook my beans. Write me a letter, a real letter, the old-fashioned way. Buy a stamp, a postcard. I'll send you the recipe for my beans. Mm. That's wonderful. That's uh, actually people do send me a post. I get get, get behind.
1: (laughs) That's a great poem for today. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So um, there's a there's a there's a word there's a wonderful restaurant down the street from Cinco Puntos. It's uh, called uh, Mexican Cottage. Is a real is a sort of a nasty wait, waitress in there, Norma, but she's become actually a friend of mine. <laughs> anyway, this is this 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 whole thing to, to a poem. It's called a, a, a kinsho down on Mexican Avenue, Texas, El Paso, Texas, and um, it's about there's this word in Japanese Zen called kinsho, which is like a little bit of an enlightenment experience, you know and it's just like nothing special. It's something we all have had one t- day or another, except they have a word for it. When I was a 17 year old kid in Memphis, I was I was a Kerouac, Ginsburg and Gary Snyder junkie. So it was natural I got hooked on Zen too. But I was in Memphis where nothing ever seemed to happen. So I was sure Zen and Kinshaw grew best in San Francisco or maybe the Colorado mountains, maybe even New York City, places like that where the enlightened Zen Roshis like to go hang out with all the cool people. That was 50 years ago, and today I ate at the Mexican cottage on Texas Avenue, El Paso, Texas of all places, where they run a Thursday lunch special on Kinsho. I had walked the several blocks from work. Monsoon clouds hung in the east. Even in the downtown, the desert smelled like rain. I gave an old man a couple of dollars to buy himself a burrito. A cop sat at the counter drinking a beer. He had served his city. He was done for the day. The bitchy waitress, Norma, put the quincho in front of me with a smile. Wayne provecho, she said, completely out of touch with who she really is. She served it up with hot corn tortillas, refried beans, and a glass of water. I stared at the food. May I, may I be worthy of this meal, I whispered. The afternoon light was coming through the window. The universe did a little waltz. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. I let go. Yes, it was me who sat there and breathed and ate. Don't get me wrong. The food was good, but nothing special. I had to get back to work. Our business, like always, is in danger of going belly up.
1: There we go.
0: Did we lose it? I
1: don't think so. I don't think so. It was beautiful. It was really...
0: I'm sitting here thinking how much the two poems you've read are about a kind of holy communion, and when we do eat together, the world is such a better place. Yeah,
2: exactly. It It just stuns me. I'm Uh, moved. You uh, know, uh, I read a
0: lot of this stuff, but this is good, Bobby. Well, thank you very much. Uh, (laughs) So maybe I'll read one
2: more. What do you think? Sounds good to me. Okay, I'll read a poem for my wife. I have another book over there called White Panties, Dead Friends, and Other Other Bits and Pieces of Love.
0: Mm.
2: Uh, And uh, when people come to look at it, she always says, those are my white panties. (laughs) 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 I know she did. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is called uh, Portrait of a Woman. She is simmering the oatmeal for breakfast, the early morning light, the wooden spoon in her hand, her hips rocking back and forth, the pink pajama bottoms, a white pullover. Forty years we have found these ordinary rituals, a matrimonial dance, and at night she is the warm body next to mine. We are happy to be animals together. That, too, is beautiful, afloat on this side of nothing, emptiness, whatever you want to call it. She snores some, and some nights she grunts in her sleep. (laughs) So, is that that enough? We're all done?
1: That's beautiful. I I, want to thank you for sharing your time with us, your poetry, and uh, and also the work with Cinco Puntas. I think that uh, people with the dumb audacity to start independent presses right. have a lot to owe as you guys, to you look, guys
2: you're learning Yes. yes uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful exciting thing to do
1: we thank you for the, yeah. the model and as a uh, postscript we just wanted to come back on the air and do uh, a little bit of uh, plugging of one of a very important book that Cicco Puntos has. Bobby, can you tell us about this guy? Yeah,
2: this is the book called... So we're we're on the U.S.-Mexico border. The border is like... This is like central to the discussion of everything, a lot of different issues in the, our country today. But However, very few people ask uh, people who live on the border about those issues. So a number of years ago, my daughter Susie Berg was on the... On the city council with her good friend Beto O'Rourke,
1: you may have heard of him. Yeah, you
2: might have heard of Beto Aurora. <laughs> and we asked them to write a book about drugs. They were, you know, because the city was getting. They wanted to pass a policy or a statement by the city, a, a, a referendum or not a refer, a statement by the city saying uh, that we're for uh, drug policy changes, reorganizing drug trial, uh, developing new drug laws Drug laws, yeah. and and they were threatened by the then congressperson sylvester reyes says, if y'all do that we you know you could lose money uh from the government and i would be behind it you know i don't want y'all publishing this it's not good for the city and so oh my gosh um, uh so we asked during all this controversy we wrote them and asked them to write a or we didn't we, you know we talked to them they for our daughter lives next door. We're very lucky that daughter lives next door to us. Oh, wow. And so she, uh, we talked to them and uh, Beto and she, and to write a book of it. And they did a lot of research about it. Uh, and because of where we were, the interesting thing, Susie knew a young man. Susie knew the father of a young man who was in prison at Cerezo at the time in uh, Juarez. And, and she also knew the... Wall Street Journal reporter who was interviewing this guy, so she would ask the Wall Street Journal reporter to ask him to ask the drug lord who was in prison to give him the prices of the diff- of the drugs as it came from the from the fields in Durango, for instance, oh my and word. it came, came through all the different sort of uh, different levels of. Buying and selling, but uh-huh. so they got to the border, and when they got to the border, they came over, and of course the price then jumped Im- immensely. So she got information that nobody else had, right? And it was in this book, and so uh, it was. It's a very good book, and she and Beto worked real hard on it, and this and this really speaks well for uh, Beto. And I've, I've I've not spoken much about this, but when we did this book. Uh, and was about to be published, Beto had decided to run for uh, congressman. And Susie came over and said, Dad, one of Beto's supporters thinks that if you publish this book, well, you're gonna, Beto's going to lose. So Beto and I had a discussion. I said, Beto, you know, people like me, you know, my friends, the intellectual community of El Paso, and our region, the people who will be a, a large part of, of the sort of, uh, I don't like to use the progressive people in the city, know that we're going to publish this book. And if if you pull out of this book, not publish this book, then you're going to lose them. Right. And he looked at me and said, you know, you're right. And he, he said, no, we're going to go ahead and publish the book. So, you know, that spoke to me very highly of who Beto O'Rourke is. As as we've noticed in this campaign, he's not he's not your usual politician.
1: Absolutely. So he
2: listens, and he and he acts on what he listens, what he hears. The book is called "Dealing Death and Drugs: The Big Business of Dope in the U.S. and Mexico." It's by Beto O'Rourke and Susie Bird, and a lot of research went into it. The things have changed since it was published, but not really. What you know, what has changed is, is that you know that. Capitalism, you know, the idea of what you can sell and buy is what drives the drug war. Oh,
1: absolutely. And so,
2: and buys is about the whole, um, the whole sense of, uh, drugs in general, you know, the opioid crisis is, 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 is fueled by, uh, capitalism Mm -hmm. because you can, these doctors are making good money, you know, selling these drugs and it's lazy. Right. You know, so uh, this book, we we're real delighted by this book. And we were hoping that uh, Ted Cruz would get up and wave it in front of the, the National. Nash- <laughs> 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 but but that never happened.
1: Free
2: PR, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, it would be good. You
1: didn't know, he was going to be your biggest publicist. I <laughs> know. Right.
2: That well, been great.
1: thanks much. Oh, we yeah. appreciate it. You guys are great. Thank
2: you for inviting me.
1: f Shakespeare is brought to you on the backs of the harried, unpaid, and not-quite-starving artists that make up Bloomsday Literary, and also the good people at Houston Creative Space. Photography, video, and fine art. Find all things creative at Houston Creative Space. And by Audible. Stop angry tweeting in traffic. I'm looking at you, Ford Fusion going west on I-10. Listen to us, and then when you're done, listen to an audiobook from Audible. The title we recommend is Rachel Cusk's Exceptional Trilogy, beginning with book one outline. Effing Shakespeare listeners get a free title with a new membership. Go to audibletrial.com slash Shakespeare and read more widely today.